Hello, welcome to America in Context Live. It's about 12, it's a little after 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we have a big show for you today uh, with the election only weeks away. Uh, we have a lot of big stories in the political sphere to talk about Shivani Prasad. Of, uh, she's an American Context contributor and the co one of the co-founders of Elections ABC. She's on the pro program. Is that What's happening? Okay, hold on. Sorry, we're launching and have some, some technical difficulties today. It's kind of, uh, it seems to be on par with the quality of the week uh, this week. Uh, so <laughs> uh, live that's live television uh, for you. So let's get to the program first. I want to tell you uh, actually a little bit about a story I worked on a few years ago uh, that I kind of got reminded by uh, in the context of the debate last night. It was on a facility called Kids Peace. Uh, I was reminded of it last night when the president brought up, well, really the conversation about uh, the child separation policy. Kids Peace owns and operates foster care centers and juvenile detention centers across the United States. One of Kids Peace facilities, Misebi Academy at the center of, of one of my investigations uh, in Bull, Minnesota, was rampant with abuse after immense public pressure and numerous lawsuits, the facility closed. Uh, former inmates say boys were forced by employees into fight clubs. Uh, these kids were as young as 12 years old. Uh, rooms didn't have security. They were, those fight clubs were in rooms that didn't have security cameras. Others children, uh, other children allege uh, sexual uh, abuse by various staffers. Now, it's not just the Minnesota facility that faced troubling allegations. It was a primary facility in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which has a shocking story in and of itself. The facility in Bethlehem has previously been accused for mistreating residents. For example, in 2015, two incidents reported in the Bethlehem facility included an unnamed staff member which entered a child's bedroom, choked the child, and threw the individual against the wall. Months later, another staff member was accused of kicking a child. Then in 2016, reports surfaced that a staff member verbally threatened and physically harmed a child. Other staff members helped in to prevent the staff member from further assaulting the minor. In another instance, also in 2016, a staff member threw a child's food on the ground uh, during mealtime to prevent them from eating. In 2017, another staff member started a physical altercation with a child, and later another staff member hit said child twice. Also in 2017, a staff member uh, was accused of pulling out a chair uh, underneath a child while the child was sitting, forcing him to fall to the ground. Another uh, staff member threatened to break another child's arm in a restraint, according to the Pennsylvania Children's Rights Education Law Center. Why do I mention this? Well, as recently as 2019, the Trump administration used that exact residential treatment facility run by Kids Peace to house migrant children as part of the family separation policy. Facilities around the country, including Kids Peace, including this Kids Peace facility in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where had been used. 
And yet it's just another example of the Trump administration's endorsed malice and mistreatment of children. And we cannot forget that. Now that's a little bit of a dated story, but it is important to put this in context of the conversations that we are having today and upcoming in the election. The other thing I want to bring up as a journalist uh, is about the president's move uh, with 60 Minutes yesterday to release a secret recording of the interview uh, in which CBS released a statement. We have a graphic of that I want to pull up on the screen uh, right now. Now, uh, I just, I'm not going to read this in its entirety, but it's up there if you, you know, want to give it a look. Uh, this is not normal. This backlash is bizarre. It's unwarranted. Uh, and if you actually watch the clip, which I invite uh, you to do, uh, it's on the president's Facebook account. Uh, his major problem was with the interviewer, Leslie Stahl, a very well-known, respected journalist. Uh, he just didn't like being asked tough questions. He definitively said, you know, something um, I'm not quoting exactly, but it was something along the lines of that he didn't want to be asked tough questions. And those, uh, quote, tough questions included things like, uh, why are you, you know, at these rallies uh, not definitively telling people to wear masks? Why are you, you know, kind of endorsing behavior uh, that his own public health officials are saying are, are really basic steps that people can take to protect other people. And so that we can move past this virus to a semblance of, of normalcy. That was a tough question. That was him. That was enough for him to walk out. And that was enough for him to feel kind of insecure. And it is frankly, very concerning that, you know, this guy, the current president of the United States has, remarkably low self-confidence. It is concerning. It is concerning with somebody in his position to have such low self-confidence. His outward projections of his own personal insecurities are concerning. They're concerning for anyone. That that, that is an indication that they probably are, have, are dealing with some kind of trauma. And it's not, it's not a funny thing. It's, it's, it's saddening. And with somebody in his position, it, it is really frankly, quite concerning. No one lashes out if they're confident in themselves quite like he does. This is not a partisan thing. This is just basic human psychology. Now, these problems are problems of his own creation. He does not have to do these things. These are essentially bad public relations moves. And White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany retweeting the president's adult child, Eric Trump, uh, he, he tweeted like an animation of her slamming CNN, but, you know, to be clear, this is all part of a show for her. I have personally offered her interviews for her to state her case, uh, on outside of horse race politics, which she has declined several times. And these are for top tier outlets. These were interviews and, and conversations that I was granted at places like the Atlantic for Ozzy, uh, and for the Washington post. I have also personally interviewed a vice president, several cabinet members and other senior members of the White House, both from the Obama and from the Trump administration. This is a show. It's just sociopathic uh, behavior. Being a leader requires you to be above the noise, not part of it. And the president 
is unwilling or unable to do that. He's shown that in the last four years and frankly, through his entire uh, professional career uh, in real estate and um, in show business uh, himself. But to be clear, the relationship between the press and the White House is inherently adversarial. The Obama administration wasn't great to the press either. There are tons of tools that journalists use uh, to you know, connect with sources who want to uh, and feel as though they need to leak information. And those tools, a lot of them came up during the Obama administration. And the Obama administration turning down interviews with like Fox News, even though there's, you know, very strong opinions and they, you know, arguably and not arguably, they're, they're in a lot of circumstances perpetuating uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, turning down interviews with a organization is an undermining uh, action for freedom of the press. So to be clear that that the, the Obama administration was not great to the press either. But the difference is that the Trump administration kind of uh, appeals to this kind of lowest common denominator of people who uh, take his message quite literally and threaten uh, journalists and threaten particular uh, institutions in the effect where they have to be evacuated, bomb threats. Uh, but that's kind of what's going on um, in a nutshell uh, in in terms of the press in the last couple of days. But there's a lot more going on in the political sphere to talk about between the stimulus, the debate, and uh, you know the the up the upcoming election, which is only days away. Shivani Prasad, American America in context, a contributor and a co-founder of Elections ABC, is uh, going to be joining us here to discuss all things politics. But before we get to that, here's this. And Shivani is joining us to discuss. Uh, good morning, afternoon. Good afternoon, Andy. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. So you were watching last night's debate. Mm -hmm. Initial takeaways. There's a lot to say. Um, I think all things considered, the debate last night was much better than the first debate. And essentially, it was pretty much the same topics, just this time we could actually kind of discern what people were saying. And I think we got a lot more substance out of it than we did last time. But I think for the most part, the president seemed to be sticking to certain talking points and buzzwords and really thinking about those clickbait type of quotes that he could get out there that could go viral and really focusing on attacking Joe Biden's family. But I also think he really hurt himself by bringing up some conspiracy theories and things that a new source like Breitbart would cover. But I think for the most part, 
Joe Biden seemed to have formulate, formulated his thoughts better. Um, I do think that for me, at least when he looked at the camera and spoke directly to the people, I personally saw that as a bit corny. Um, and he did very much, he did come off very much like a typical politician. And I wonder though, if the president realizes that he's now also a politician and he can't continue to refer to himself as an outsider when he literally lives in the White House. So he can't really refer to Joe Biden that way anymore. And I also think that Joe Biden covered some topics really well and really strongly. And then others, he seemed to have lost his way. Um, you know, he doesn't really come off as the strongest debater and I feel like at times he didn't really punch back in an effective way when he clearly could have but for me what really stood out was a few things uh the, you know the president saying that it's the low IQ immigrants that come back for their um asi uh, asylum trials um Joe Biden saying that we do need to move away from oil and towards renewable energy but not really discussing how that would affect or what his plan would be for states like Texas. Um, and I also think it was very striking when Donald Trump spoke about the fact that we treat the children well that have been separated from their parents and that are in cages. Um, and I think that's one of the points that Joe Biden did take on very well and had a very clear and strong stance on. So overall, I think that it was a much more decent debate <laughs> than the first one. But to be honest, uh, I still don't really feel like either of them won. Well, uh, just just as a point of clarity, the uh, his the the president's point about the one those cages and 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 uh, centers and separation policy uh, did exist in the Obama administration to an extent. Uh, it was actually introduced under the Bush administration in in uh, two thousand two. Yeah. Uh, the major difference here is is children were separated. If there was suspected trafficking, not as a separation from their parents, mm -hmm. uh, as a deterrent, which Mark Kelly said on camera. Uh, wait, yeah. Um, as did Jeff Sessions, uh, and that um, was—I mean—that was kind of kind of their talking point. Um, it. Um, it's it's so it's it's really odd that they kind of I mean it's not odd it's 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 not surprising that they're that they're kind of uh, walking back on that I do actually want to get your opinion on the fracking uh, conversation there what's your take so I, it, it's kind of confusing and this is why it's so important to really pay attention so so closely to a lot of these things so the president was saying you know uh, you know Joe was saying that uh, he was super um, against fracking and he was he was you know against it when it was beneficial to him and now he's saying he's not against fracking well I think it's pretty clear that Joe Biden said that he was uh, against uh, fracking on federal land and that he was willing to move eventually to transition towards renewable energy. He never ever flat out said that he was um, against fracking. And I do think that it was a really bold move for him to say, yeah, I, I do want to move towards renewable energy. We do need to move away from oil, which I think is the way of the future. However, I think it is really dangerous for him not to bring up what that transition uh, plan would look like. What are you going to do about states like Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma? You know, we can't leave these people out. If you're a president, you're a president for the entire country. And those that industry really supports those kinds of states. So what are we going to do? And, and President Trump did bring that up. He said, oh, 
big deal. That's a big statement. What are you going to do about these states? And so those were some of the moments I felt like Joe Biden could have just really punched back really quick, gave some good viral moments. But, you know, he's just not that kind of debater. And I think in these kind of situations, that really hurts him. But I absolutely support, you know, ending fracking and moving towards um, renewable energy. And I think that's the way to go. And I'm glad that he said it. I think it was a bold position uh, to take. Well, I mean, and also it's worth pointing out that uh, it's it's worth pointing out that the um, that his kind of position, Biden's position on this, is really more of a um, it's really more of a we need a phase out. Uh, fracking is less bad than um, oil. Uh, however, and I will say this from you know an environmental fracking is is terrible. It is. It needs to go away, and we are in a process where, uh, at the moment, we need to. Uh, that the only way to actually solve the problem is kind of actually something that's really extreme. Uh, that wouldn't have been the case if we dealt with this in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we're kind of a little far gone there. We have to kind of deal with the situation that we've kind of created uh, at this moment. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's unfortunate, but that, that is the reality here. Uh, also, it almost goes without saying, but Trump is not great for the environment. He actually has rolled back more than a hundred, hundred, three, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, you know, it goes without saying that, that, that he's not great for the environment, that this just kind of, and that's why that's why I feel like, you know, that was such a such a great opportunity for Joe Biden to to point that out. And and maybe even if he had to give one or two points on how a transition to renewable energy would include uh, those states that rely heavily on oil production, oil refineries. Um, and, and then and in doing so, point out that this president is actually really bad for the environment and that Joe Biden would be better for the environment. But he just didn't do that. Uh, Alex raises a good point. Uh, he he said uh, Joe Biden said that he wants to make fracking uh, safer and transition from oil to renewable energy. Uh, it's a good point of clarification. Um, there are uh, that that is a that is a good point. Um, thing is, I mean, there's a lot of issues with fracking that that do make that frankly, challenging your, you know, uh, pressurizing, um, the water table and that, that leaks. It's, it's, it's very difficult to work around that. Uh, I hope they can change it. Also just on the comments of about Texas, uh, I'm originally from Texas myself. Uh, I would say that Texas is really, has, especially in recent years, has been has been kind of showing that they're more the energy capital of the world, um, and they're more the energy capital of the world, not just the oil capital of the world. Uh, they have a significant, a fairly significant uh, portion of their uh, energy that that is used in, in municipal facilities and also a bunch of homes, which is, you know, using wind energy, one of the largest uh, solar farms in, in the world. So 
you know, kind of, kind of um, pointing out that, you know, it is a little out of touch with, with what that state and who is involved in that state in the few, just in, in, in the bigger picture here. It's, it's worth noting, it's clearly that the president is stuck several, mentally several decades ago. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but that's just kind of the reality um, of what it is that we're dealing with here. Uh, so the other thing I want to bring up is uh, the Hunter Biden stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Uh, one, you know, it's it's not great that he was sitting on the board of that energy company um, and that he was, um, you know, that he was talking, that he was, you know, saying that he, you know, could, could work with his uh, father at some level. That, that is, a, that is, there's some valid concerns there, but it also is worth noting that, you know, kids say stuff. That doesn't mean their parents are going to go for it. Uh, and also using Hunter Biden's, uh, addiction, um, and, you know, kind of mental, some of the mental anguish he's been dealing with is, is just not appropriate. It was not appropriate when, um, it's just not appropriate when, when you're using that, especially because it's, it's, it's only further stigmatizing, uh, people seeking treatment. Absolutely for for men- mental health mental health issues uh and it's it's worth pointing that out um unfortunately that's the political climate that we're in uh but it's it's just it's not really appropriate to use someone's mental uh state as a political talking point um uh, it's also kind of worth talking about the um his children's nepotism, like the, the dictionary definition. I mean, Ivanka literally is an advisor in the White House. Uh, yeah. You know, they were pushing for having a summit, an international summit at one of their resorts in Florida. Uh, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Uh, you know, the, the hotel in Turkey, just go. You, the, there's so many examples. They are the dictionary definition. Mm-hmm. Um, of the, um, the, the kind of the dictionary definition of, of, of nepotism. Um, just to be clear here, getting some comments about the serious corruption allegations. Uh, again, Joe Biden has specifically walked back and said that he has no relationship with this. That just because his son says that he is going to get involved, um, you know, that he that his father is going to get involved doesn't mean that his father is actually going to get involved. Um, I've said things that my father is going that I thought my father was going to do that he did not do. Uh, it, it, I mean. And also, I would note that uh, it, it is very important that Joe Biden mentioned that he 
is willing to, when it comes to even in terms of criminal justice reform, right? People who have addictions, he made it very clear that people that have addictions, um, whether it's alcohol or drugs, he believes that those people should be taken to rehabilitation, not to prison. Also a very strong stance, also something very important that needs to be talked about given, you know, the opioid crisis and things that like that, that nature of that nature that have happened in this country. So I think that it's, it's very much an important thing to mention and it's a good thing that he did. Uh Again, just because if Hunter Biden was a, you know, hired by that company in their intent to give favors, uh, to do favors for the Bidens, uh, and just because Hunter Biden said that he was going to does not mean, does not mean that Joe Biden was going to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just not... There's no policy conversations that that say that this is true. Um, do you think that uh, this is a good question from a from a reader? Uh, do Do you think that um, that that there are, that, that, that does this debate helps undecided voters? I mean. I will say this on um, the Hunter Biden thing. Like you said, are there questionable things that that happened there? Yes, absolutely. No one is saying not, but like you said, there from a policy standpoint, there there's nothing that really proves it. Um, but I think it's worth noting why like Biden really hasn't brought up uh, Trump's children and his, and his nepotism there. Uh, I know that we know how hypocritical this president is, and it, this is just another instance of that. So. It's so obvious how uh, involved his children are, even though in the beginning they stated that they wouldn't be involved because of, of con uh, contra conflict of interest. So it's pretty rich that he would try to bring up uh, Hunter Biden on any of the items uh, of his uh, ch children benefiting from their father being in politics when his children are very clearly doing the same. And there was actually a Vox.com article that talked about how Trump tends to weaponize a lot of his weaknesses against his opponents. And it looks like that's what he's doing in this case, knowing how much of a conflict it is that having his children involved in government. So he's trying to pin the same thing on Joe as corruption. And even when he talks about Hunter, Hunter Biden's connections to China, right, it's clearly the same thing he's trying to do, trying to weaponize his own weakness by knowing that he has problematic uh, connections to China as well. So I honestly don't know why Biden hasn't brought up his children more, but I wonder if it's because he doesn't want to get into a discussion about their children and more so about the issues at hand. And he knows that that can easily turn into a rabbit hole of discussing numerous questionable things that all of their children, both of their children could have possibly done over the years at some point and are continuing to do. And so this is obviously a really touchy subject for Joe Biden. And it seems that like something that he would rather stray away from, even if it means not pointing out a lot of the conflicts of interest and numerous issues that the Trump children also create. Um, yeah, I mean, there is, uh, unfortunately, the the Republican side of the aisle have made it that there's no room to actually have a debate and conversation um, on about this. Um, that there's that's just not true. I mean, there's just there's just it's a false equivalency trying to understand both. I mean, you under, understanding both sides of the argument and giving a kind of a false equivalency of these issues. Uh, you know, we as journalists, we really need to make kind of make that very clear understand understanding both sides of the argument, but not not legitimizing both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, 
it, it is clear that there was some kind of corrupt intent with the Hunter Biden situation, but that was not, uh, you know, a decision that was not coming from Joe Biden or Joe Biden's po policy decisions. Um, and, you know, rhetoric is one thing, actual policy decisions uh, are really, you know, another. So moving on uh, from that right there, I want to talk about the stimulus because uh, early this week, Mitch McConnell pushed Republicans not to bring up a stimulus package to the to the floor uh, until after the election. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty clear here that this move uh, on the stimulus is a campaign ploy. Uh, I mean, Democrats have made a lot of a lot of concessions, and they put up a bill. Uh, stimulus package in May, which Republicans have not taken up. It is very clear that this is a campaign ploy. What is? What do you make of this new stimulus stall uh, from McConnell? Yeah, you know, I think it's really unfortunate uh, that it's taking so long, and there are so many people that need help right now. And the fact that we're not saying, uh, the fact that we're not saying that this is going to drag past the election is dangerous. Um, and sorry, the fact that we're saying that this could drag past the election is dangerous. And um, I was actually reading in Bloomberg just this morning that. Uh, it kind of raises the issue that the the Trump administration would be less able to push a package through the Senate. And if Joe Biden wins and the Republicans lose their Senate majority, it's likely that discussions about the stimulus will be moved to late January, which is just, like you said, unacceptable given that, you know, there was a package presented in May. Um, so it seems that they have had some movement on talking about working in more coronavirus protections like virus texting and virus testing, sorry, and vaccination strategy. But they seem to still be stuck uh, when it comes to state and local aid. And I think that personally, I would agree with more of some of the progressive Democrats in that in the party in that something needs to be done very soon. However, I am also very aware that it isn't just Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, that is quote unquote, holding it back and that Mitch McConnell and other Senate Republicans are doing a lot to block a decent stimulus package from uh, package from being passed. And I think uh, she's made it very clear that she doesn't want less of a bill to be passed just to have something sooner. However, the alternative is is not having anything right now when people are struggling. And the fact that we're now talking about the idea that these people could be struggling till January, I think demonstrates that we really do need to continue to put pressure on them, on Nancy Pelosi and uh, Democrats and Republicans. And we need a, we need a decent bill and, and it needs to be passed now. Uh, can can I'm sorry. Can you can you repeat what you said? It looks like we had some uh, some technical uh, some uh, some lagging issues. And sure, what was our, the what was the last thing you heard there. me say? Uh, I, I I you know uh, we were talking okay. about Nancy so, Pelosi. Uh, I, I'll just say I'll just continue with. Um, I guess I I understand that Nancy Pelosi has leverage and. She wants the best possible bill to be passed. You know, they're they're talking about making sure that they include things for working Americans and, and things like childcare. Um, and I think she's made it really clear that she doesn't really want less of a bill to be passed, just so that something can be passed sooner. Um, however, the alternative to that is what's happening right now, which is that nobody is receiving any aid. And the fact that we're now talking about the the, the idea that these people could be struggling until January. I think demonstrates that we really do need to continue to put this pressure on them, on Nancy Pelosi, on Senate Republicans, on the, the rest of the Democratic Party. Um, 
And we need to do that because we need a decent bill and we need it to be passed now. I mean, millions uh, of Americans are really struggling. Um, it's a difficult time for all of us and Washington is, is really uh, not helping. Um, and it's, it, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation that this is, this is a political, that ha this, this has become political. Um, what do you take, what, what are your thoughts on um, uh, universal basic income? I, I think I would definitely have to do more research on that. I could see it being very useful. And I've read more than one study that demonstrates um, and, and really illustrates that when people are given a universal basic income, that they are able to lift themselves out of it. Um, Andy knows this. I'm from Canada. And we, ha we have... Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember the exact name of the policy now, but there, there is, there was um, a tax benefit that people under a certain um, income level got, depending on the amount of children that you have. Um, and we were essentially able to out policy, uh, like po like people in poverty with children. So there is this ability um, when you give people in need, uh, what they need to a certain extent, that they're able to lift themselves out of certain situations. So if there's any comparison there, I mean, I think I could see it working in, in the sort of test runs that they've done in, in different European countries and stuff. It seems that it's been working, but I think I would need to read uh, some more research on that. Uh, just to, to raise uh, the point about this, about uh, COVID, it does not just affect elderly people. That is just inherently not true. It mm -hmm. is impacting lots of people. Lots of people who are young and very healthy in their 30s and 20s are dying from this. Uh, people who are younger generally are getting long haul sim symptoms. Uh, I can speak here from personal experience. I had this in March. I still have days where I'm knocked off my feet. That is just the fat... Uh, um, the, con the connection here is not is not great. That's unfortunate. But the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people who are dealing with situations like me, who are dealing with long haul systems. Excuse me, symptoms for months at a time. So to suggest that this only impacts the elderly is just blatantly false. A talking point perpetuated by the president that that is is clear that it is just a lie this is uh, public health officials anthony Fauci, who is who has been working for several several presidents has said this if if you are you know just taking the president's word for it and not questioning this and looking to public health officials and hearing this from objective many sources that then you just there, there's there's nothing else to say here if if the people at risk are yes largely more are are elderly there is a higher percentage of deaths in that population that is factually true but to suggest that this does not impact or strongly impact younger people is just false, hundred percent. It is. It is. It is crazy. It is. It is crazy. Especially, you know, we need to acknowledge we are not the. I mean, these 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 Trumpian conservatives that say this. We need to acknowledge that that, and they need to acknowledge that there is not a single. The, 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 there are 
There are a, every other country in the world has seemed to figure this out. When there is a uh, spike in cases, uh, they lock down. We're seeing that in in Europe as we speak. And the fact of the matter is, the highest death rates are coming from countries with populist leaders: Russia, the United States, India. We could go on. There is significant significant proof and there i am no longer going to waste my time talking about this situation on my show if you go back every single episode i discuss how there is the equivalent population of every single city the uh, the equivalent population of every single american city and i'm getting up to places like that, that are not small towns so some of the biggest cities in various states, Salt Lake City, Utah, for example, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Imagine an entire city of pe- worth of people being wiped out. And if you think that the economy, one, uh, opening up the economy in full is going to is going to protect, is going is is more worth protecting human life. You're fundamentally out of touch. And first of all, we're, no one is saying, no one is saying we need to completely, everybody wants the economy to open up. And if we, uh, Dr. Redfield said himself, if we just, you know, if we did this for, for three weeks, if we just wore masks and, and social distance for three weeks, we could be done with this. And and Anthony Fauci just last week said that there is no indi- and and Joe ba- and that there is no that they do not want to shut down the economy in full. It's about taking steps to protect at this moment, which includes wearing things like this. This is a mask <laughs> on your face. You go out in public. You wear that. You, you're it's 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 protecting people. It's it's simply that if you don't get that sorry no convincing there's no there's no there's no convincing uh you further there's significant evidence to support that i'm sorry but i i can't i can't sit i can't sit back and and be nice about this um for for much longer it's just it's just factually correct if there is a moral imperative to save human lives and especially if you're coming from the pro-life camp. Come on. <laughs> uh, so that's my rant for today, and I'm I'm going to uh, call it quits right here uh, on this particular episode, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Shivani, for coming on the program. Uh, remember that you can uh, subscribe, sponsor the show on HAPS, as well as find out more reporting uh, at americancontext.substack.com. You can find my reporting uh, and as well as uh, Shivani's. Is, there's, some, there's some stuff there. Uh, you, you know, I, I'm also uh, personally writing for Aussie Observer, Al Jazeera, a bunch of places like that. Shivani, you have some, you have some reporting in places like uh, Vogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, where else? Uh, Vogue, TVO, I'm, I'm writing a big print piece for a fashion magazine coming up, um, hopefully soon writing for CBC, some other places. So definitely have a lot of things in the work as, in the works as well. And I also just want to say 
thank you for being so strong on these type of points. Um, it's really, really important to just shut these things down from the get-go. And I know that you are speaking from experience. Um, and every life at this point uh, that is affected by this, we have to protect everyone. Um, and I personally have had many friends that are my age that have gotten significantly sick, and it's been a very scary thing. So I think that um, I am very grateful to you for being so strong on this point and not letting it go, but also uh, not entertaining these kind of um, ridiculous uh, statements. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for coming on. Anytime. Uh Viewers, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye, everyone. Wow. <laughs>